Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part 14 of Me Speak Babble, the Gate of God series. And today we're going to talk about unlearning Babel. So how do you stop speaking this common language of Babel? How do you stop speaking Babel? Well, you do it by opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Literally, you ask for it to come and keep asking and keep asking and it will show up. It's amazing. It's free. Um, no, like I said in one of the prior series, no box tops needed, no um, points on your credit card. It's just free. So if we go back to the story of the Tower of the Babel, when God scattered the nations, they still held the cultural and worldview of Babel, even if they spoke different grammar and vocabulary. A new language later, much later, came to the apostles at Pentecost. And that language was one of non-competition and fearlessness through Christ's victory on the cross. Um, again, uh, like God's messenger of Gabriel comes to Mary, the Holy Spirit comes to his apostles and disciples at Pentecost. Um, we do not pull God down with a gate or a tower. He comes to us in his own time, and that's the key difference. Uh, the old options of the old language, where fight, flight, or freeze are the options, are suddenly made lame compared to the new option of faith in Christ. This is what always scares people and leaders in this world about followers of Jesus. They don't want the ordinary things of this world. The followers are different. They, they fast and pray and don't care about money so much. Uh, even sex becomes less interesting because they have something that's much more interesting in Jesus and eternal life. So uh, the rebirth, the, the baptism and all of that, it, it, it gives you something far more interesting than the sort of pitiful things of this world that we tend to hold up as so dear. Uh, power becomes a fool's game to them, or it should be. Uh, some pe sometimes people forget that. But how, how can this be? How can that's what when people see that it's confusing and it's actually terrifying to those who play the game of Babel constantly in their lives. And the reason for this is if you have spent a life squabbling for the scraps of honor or, or comfort to be comfortable um, for any position in your in your company, your society, your family or the system of government, um, if you're scrapping and squabbling for those things and you're sacrificing to get that honor and status, it's terrifying because it exposes the reality when you see people who are happy and full of life who have none of those things. So for someone who is a vice president or wealthy or, or extremely uh, obsessed with their health and body, um, they've sacrificed much for the promises of this world. And when they see someone who's happy without it, that's confusing. And you have to, uh, it, it makes them re-examine things. And if they are wrong, then their entire way of life is a fraud. It's kind of a waste of time. If the poor and, and the lepers and the insane, the criminals, the outcasts are finding joy in their poverty with no status whatsoever, just by believing in this man named Jesus, then everything that they hold sacred is being proved as powerless. Uh, consider this possibility that it's, it's, it's too much. If you're, if you're obsessed with becoming rich and you see someone who's poor, who's happier than you, that's a concern. Um, St. Augustine has this experience in the confessions when he sees a, dr a happy drunk on the street and 
you know, Augustine has everything. He's the speechwriter for the Romans. He's educated. He's, um, he has someone to sleep with and he's perfectly miserable. He's got everything in life and the, the drunk homeless person is happier than he is. Um, what it does when, when you see Christians that are happy, it's a mirror and it's, it's hard to look into that mirror because the reflection betrays the truth. Uh, what scares the people the most, more than anything else, is witnessing people change and convert to worship a man, one man named Jesus, and seeing these people suddenly find total joy and meaning for their lives that they didn't have before. And it rocks those in power or those with status, those with wealth, um, those seeking pleasure, because for the first time, they will become aware that the foundation they're building their lives on is complete sand. Uh, they have no idea how it can be possible and don't want to hear that it is possible. You know, how could happiness possibly come without competition and victory or power or money or pleasure? Well, <clears throat> total openness to the Holy Spirit brings the gift of peace, even while you are being persecuted or made fun of or mocked or, or blamed or falsely accused. The old game, the old common language, is, is powerless over the apostles at Pentecost, and people can see it, even if they don't speak Hebrew, Latin, or Greek. The new language is victory over judgment. It's victory over scapegoating. It's victory over needing approval of those with more money or power. It's victory over suffering. It's victory over vice and false pleasures. And most of all, it's victory over death. The ultimate fear is no longer to be feared. When the apostles emerge at Pentecost, after the tongues of fire come to them in the room where they were praying, the opposite ha of what happens at Babel occurs. At Babel, they are all scattered. The nations are scattered. They all speak in different languages. The apostles are understood by everyone because they are somehow speaking the language of everyone that hears them. So now here's where you get into this. Is it literal? Is it allegorical? What does it mean? Well, a miracle happens. Yes, it does. Now, whether you read this story in Acts of the Apostles literally or figuratively uh, at Pentecost, either way, it remains a miracle. And this is a story where I can read it literally because when you meet someone who is open and obviously is channeling God's grace, you don't need to speak their human language to understand them. You can see it. The joy is often springing from the person. Speaking the language of Pentecost is a fearless posture, a hopeful posture, and it's the complete opposite of the fight, flight, or freeze faces that our instinct makes. So, like I said, I can literally see where people would be able to understand Peter just by looking at him and how he's changed and presented to the world as you see this happen with people who are reborn in Christ. Keep in mind that it was all of the nations, let's I need to back up, but it wasn't just the Jews that crucified Jesus. Jesus. Um, it was all of the nations. It was not one group. It was all groups. Um, the nation of Israel maybe handed Jesus over to the Gentiles in the form of Caiaphas or the, the high priests, but the Gentiles were led by the Romans who are emblematic of all nations. And Jerusalem was a... Uh, large city with many different groups of people living there. Um, it was also all of the people 
in the city um, and not just Jews. Uh, so it's important to realize that all of the nations are involved in this process of crucifying Jesus. Um, Christians have often missed this point throughout history and pinned the death solely on the Jews, which is absurd if you actually read the Gospels. The Roman soldiers in the crowds represent everyone, as in all of the nations. So all of the nations came back together for this event to kill God. It's like a second tower of, a ba of Babel attempt happening, where in the first tower, the people all speak a common, la common language trying to manipulate and control God. And in the death of Christ, they come together for his assassination. They're not trying to manipulate him. They're trying to kill him off. And once again, they speak the common language of Babel, again, in the title match here of man versus God. So they realized, you know, long ago, you can't manipulate the true God. He's outside of time and space. Now he's entered into time and space. Now they can try to kill him. The language of Babel comes back. Let's uh, crucify him once and for all. And in the Tower of Babel story, a stairway was erected to create a gate to bring God down to earth. In the story of Jesus, God voluntarily comes down to earth. And then, of course, the people want to kill him. Building a huge expensive structure to pull God downward failed and resulted in a huge mess. Then God surprises us and comes down for free of his own volition, and he is raised up on a simple piece of wood, not a huge construction project, but rather take control of him. Uh, he sets us free. That's the, the bizarre thing of, this, of all of this, and that's why it's so powerful. Now, when all the nations come together to kill God, we see the common language in action. We see the common language is that of sin and hatred and violence, and manipulation and scapegoating. That's our common language. What is not said in the Tower of Babel story is that the language is in our heart. It's not in our mouths. The common language is that which tries to kill, kill off God, and the literal attempted murder happens on the cross. The idea at Babel was for us to be elevated over God. That's always our, our notion. Our mo we make motions toward that. We wanted to allow our sin to be acceptable. Um, the shouting crowd on the way of sorrows also shows us the common language, the ugliness of the fallen world as uh, people are spitting on Jesus. Um, he's got the crown of thorns on, he's been scourged, he's been uh, beaten, and now he's carrying the cross to his own um, crucifixion. Then we see something completely different, you know, not just after the resurrection, even after the ascension, we see something completely different when the apostles emerge on the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after the crucifixion. Uh, the, the apostles spoke to the crowds and people of all nations and somehow are understood. The crowd that crucified Jesus all spoke the same old language of Babel. Um, the cross is essentially Babel part two and Pentecost is the world being set free. Just when the demons think they have succeeded in taking down God, they only have to wait at first until the third day to realize he has not been defeated and that he cannot be defeated at all. And 50 days later, this new language of the world is introduced for one and all to learn and repeat. And 2,000 years later, this new language of fearlessness is still being shared and taught. And there's still nothing better than this language of Jesus of this ability to be 
baptized and reborn in his name. The common language of the old world was that of the competition and anger and pride and winning. So the next time your local public school brags about its mascot or celebrates uh, pride in a fight song, you should know that that is the language of Babel. In politics, you see it even more clearly. As people get closer to real violence, the language becomes more fluent and more clear of what it really is. The evil in our common language is hidden with niceties and uniforms and mascots, but that is the glossy cover on a horror story. I hate to say it. We all speak the old common language of Babel, and unlearning it means coming to know Christ. God separated us into nations for a time and then brought us a solution once we were prepared to learn a new way. So while the nation still exists, we have this uh, brotherhood of Christians throughout the world that transcends the nations. Uh, at the cross, we see the fullness of the common language and the outpouring of every sin imaginable onto Jesus. Then at Pentecost, we see the reversal, a new common language introduced that everyone understands, but it's the one of openness, of truth, and the freedom that comes through an emptying of the self. The old common language was based on fear, on walling in the self, wearing fig leaves, on looking out for number one, and the new language is based on Christ himself. And this language, this person, is unstoppable. Today we live in an era of rapidly fading faith, and innately we know both the language of Babel and the language of Christ. Uh, people are turning back to the old language of Babel now. Uh, they're, they're finding that to be a better way to protect themselves. Uh, the old language is seducing billions of souls, and once critical mass is reached, God will return to do more than scatter us. This time it won't be a scattering, it will be something much different. We will be crystallized in our state when that happens. We'll be crystallized in our sins, much like the, the fallen angels who cannot can no longer repent or return to God. When we die, we are in that same state. We are crystallized in our state of either acceptance of God's grace or rejection. Um, and when God returns, as he's warned us in the, the Bible, that it will be like lightning across the sky. You will not be able to change anything at that point. It'll happen so fast, like the speed of light. You will be crystallized then, locked forever in the state of accepting or rejecting that grace. Uh, we will be stuck with the language we chose, I guess you could say, uh, either that of Babel or that of Christ, with no more chance to ask for faith. So you should ask right now, um, God, give me faith. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, draw me. We will run. Those kind of statements. The only time we get to ask for tutoring from Christ is right now. So today. So this very moment is when we need to do that. And I'll just conclude with saying um, a prayer that you might find useful. It's a simple one. It's God, give me strength and direction. Give me faith and hope so that I may forget the old common language and learn to speak the language of Jesus. Send forth your spirit to me. Help me open up my heart to receive the word. Okay, that's the end of this episode. Only two more to go in the Tower of Babel series. Thanks for listening and hope to see you on the next episode.